Welcome to Foibles, where my mom and I record conversations we have anyway. I'm Zoe. I'm Zoe's mom. Oh yeah, that's right. I have a name. It's Frida. <laughs> well, Zoe and I are doing a little off-the-cuff uh, recording here. Uh, we just spent a week kind of on vacation, staycation here at home. Even when there isn't a quarantine, we're at home kind of staycayers. Yeah, and it's Christmas break for us, although this might come out at any time of the year. <laughs> really. So we have been watching many movies, playing games, all kinds of things. and Running we, Riot. Running Riot. Getting tipsy. Yeah, playing game, uh, uh, scrabbling each other to death with our <laughs> scrabble games and all kinds of things. Anyway, we've been having a good time. And uh, tonight we watched Mildred Pierce, film from 1945 starring uh, Joan Crawford who I'm a, I'm a big fan of, and just it sparked a lot of discussion and we thought we would share it with you. Throughout this podcast, we will be referring to many facts from the movie, uh, so it will get spoiled if you haven't seen it and don't want it to be spoiled. Go watch it first before listening. Also, um, we'll probably be talking about other films that uh, relate to the themes of Mildred Pierce, and before we start talking about it, we will warn you that spoilers are coming because we may have to talk about details of those films. So just want to let you know, but it should be a good discussion. We had so much to say about this movie, and we ended up really agreeing about it, but I think it was interesting because I brought it up as the one who wanted to watch this movie because some of my coworkers from Scarecrow Video specifically had like really, really loved it, given it you know five stars and raved about it um, as you know a noir, an older movie, they loved it, strong female character. I didn't know hardly anything about it except there's a mother and maybe she has some children. And um, and they, they were so excited about it. Um, and then I, I brought it up to mom a couple of times and she had kind of a mixed reaction or like tempered reaction compared to them. And so I, I really wanted to see it. Oh yeah, so I had, yeah, when Zoe suggested that we watch this, that she really wanted to see it, I was fine watching it, but I wasn't feeling enthusiastic. Always had sort of a middling feeling about this film. I've seen it twice before we watched it tonight, so it's a third time. And I've also seen the 2011 Todd Haynes series, limited series that was done on Hulu, starring a really great actor, um, Kate Winslet, as the Joan Crawford character, as Mildred Pierce. And it, that one's kind of... It's okay. It's dull. I've also read the book uh, by James M. Kane, so I kind of had a background about it. So basically, the film is about a woman named Mildred Pierce, who is a, a housewife, uh, a great baker, and that's really where it starts. And they don't highlight this so much in the movie, but it's really her baking, her pies. She has a pie company and so forth uh, that she develops. Once her husband gets, he gets kicked out of his business and he can't make any money. So she's making money and she has two daughters. Uh, Vita is really the one, I don't even remember the name of the younger one. Kay. Kay, who's adorable and great. And then Vita, who is a, totally a spoiled, sort of uppity, snooty. Super beautiful. Super beautiful. Girly but, girl. Yeah, and, and just really thinks she's way above her parents and so forth. And she's been very spoiled by Mildred. Mildred is obsessed with her, obsessed with giving her the best of everything, obsessed to kind of living up to this upper class ethos that, that Vita has. And so she's spending a lot of money on her daughter, like getting uh, the best lessons, actually for both of them, uh, the best clothes. Everything's just got to be above their station, essentially, above their income, I should say. 
once she begins this business, what happens is that Mildred Blooms is a businesswoman. Everyone wants her product. Uh, she's got high quality. She's got really great um, work ethic. She works really hard. She builds the business. She doesn't know much about business, but she comes to learn about it, understand it, and she's able to run the business very effectively, make a lot of money. In the meantime, the husband uh, goes by the wayside and she divorces him. He does warn her about her the way she's raising the children. Now, kind of in that time in the 40s, because this film, the film was in 1945, but the, the novel was written earlier than that. I'm not sure of the year. I seem to be remembering it might have been in the early 40s or maybe even in the late 30s. So that uh, that was, it was before the war, actually. I'm sure the novel was written before the war because the novel doesn't mention the war at all. And the movie doesn't really, they kind of briefly mention something about nylons not being available. And that's that's all that the war appears in, in this 1945 movie. So you know that. She doesn't wear stockings on her sexy, sexy legs. Yeah, on her gams, on those gams. Anyway, I guess the point I was going to make is that sort of in the 40, 30s and 40s, if it was a girl in particular, it was the mother's purview as to how the child was going to be raised. And really up until the child was probably more like five or six or maybe went to school, it was the mother's purview. The mother sort of made all the decisions and the dad was on the outs. I think as a boy child got older, then the father was supposed to be playing catch and being a role model and showing them how to barbecue and that kind of stuff and 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 help him not become sissified by being too you know attached to his mother's apron strings. yes exactly yeah. exactly in their point of view but in this case they are girls so it's her purview and he does warn her and object to her spoiling vita but she didn't listen that's the setup of the film then what happens is as Mildred becomes very, 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 very successful, I mean, enough where she can buy a big mansion house and wear fancy clothes and just have everything that somebody in the upper class would have, she uh, meets and falls in love with this ne'er-do-well named Monty. Monty, yeah. yeah Monty. She buys a piece of property from him, but the, apparently he's on the decline. Yeah, he's, he's an upper-class family on the decline, but he knows how to live. And so she has a romance with him. Vita meets him, and Vita's like 17, 16, 17 at the time. I guess 17. And he, since Mildred's working all the time, he escorts her around, and they have great times. They go to polo matches and night clubbing yeah. i guess i guess 17 year olds could go to nightclubs in those days i guess they were restaurants and uh so they he took her out and so she saw the high life she saw how someone of quality lives someone who knows how to live how to spend money monty really doesn't have the money so mildred is feeding him cash on the side and then vita is finagling she's actually finagling money out of working women the waitresses who work in her mother's restaurants yeah. and borrowing money from them and when mildred hears of it she is upset and she pays them all back all the loans that they've made and so there's always these confrontations of whenever she calls Vita on her extravagance or on her uh, duplicity Vita flares up so they're always having a conflict but ultimately Mildred just gets fed up with the way Monty is she feels is leading Vita astray and uh, she doesn't really love him anymore. Anyway, she's seeing through him as a callow, uh, rich boy who really, he's got some charm, but he really doesn't have any substance. So she pays him off, and he apparently goes away, and she has a big falling out with Vita, and Vita leaves. 
goes and ends up working as a singer in a nightclub. And she's making her own money. And she doesn't want to go home because she's independent. And nobody can tell her what to do. But basically, she lets her mother know that if she can have the kind of life that Monty taught her, then she'll come back, which means a mansion, which means her mother is no longer working in a kitchen. Mildred does that because she's just obsessed with this child. Ultimately, okay, now here comes the ending part. Ultimately, what happens is she asks Monty, she goes back to Monty, makes it up with him, asks him to marry her because he's the person who can craft the lifestyle in order to get Vita to come back. He can set everything up. He knows how to throw parties. He knows how to live. And so she does that, which is, I mean, pretty stupid. Anyway, she uh, gets together with him and ultimately she finds out that he's having an affair with her daughter. She finds out that um, her husband, Monty, has basically stabbed her in the back business-wise and made her lose her business. And either she's going to be forced into bankruptcy or she has to sell her business. And she goes to confront him at the beach house. And she finds him there in an embrace with Vita. And she blows her top. She pulls out a gun. But no, because she's a good person and it's Hollywood and the Hayes Code, she can't shoot him. And so she ends up dropping the gun and crying and running out and being all upset. Runs into her car and all of a sudden she hears shots. And what has happened in the meantime is... Vita has told her that Monty's going to divorce her and marry Vita herself. And Monty's like, oh, I'm not going to marry you, you little tramp, you little tramp, you little greedy tramp, you know, and all this. And, and she gets so upset that she shoots him because that's what women do when they're upset. Hysterical. And when Mildred hears this, she determines that she's going to cover for Vita. And she denies knowing anything. Then ultimately, when the police press her, she she says that she did it, that she's the one who, who killed him. They don't believe it. They figure it out. And then they haul Vita in, and she's going to be, be arrested. And then in the end, she walks off arm in arm with her original husband, Mr. Pierce. Right. <laughs> Because he's actually a good guy, and he has gotten a job since then, and now he's gainfully employed. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it's worth noting that that's the entire plot of the movie, but the way that it's set up in the beginning, you don't get all the information, and so you just see Mildred Pierce running from the beach house and the shots, and it kind of implies that she did shoot him, and then she's going to throw herself in the water, and she sets up this other guy for the murder and stuff. So it's a classic noir sort of setup. So we both gave this movie three and a half stars out, out of five. five. And what we ended up talking about mostly was, I mean, the mother-daughter relationship in the movie. So that's why we're super interested in talking about it. Yeah, we're, well, that's where um, we feel like the, the movie fell down. Why it isn't a five-star movie like a, like a double indemnity or um, a five-star movie like The Bad Seed from 1957, a great, great really wonderful film a lot of the shots are flawless the styles flawless yeah. directed by, by michael curtis a great director exactly and it's got great lighting fantastic costumes good dialogue for the most part but the, the the reason that i am ambivalent about the film is i feel like the relationship between the mother and daughter doesn't gel and that's not because either actor is in any way deficient and it isn't that the actors couldn't have created that chemistry the problem is, is that because Mildred has to be so good because she's the heroine of the movie and she's played by Joan Crawford and that's what's required for that role, they don't make explicit or clear why Vita is such a little bitch. 
Yeah. I mean, that's really what they make her out to be, <laughs> yeah. too. So so on the on on Vita's side, you don't see Vita's pain because in my opinion, people are not greedy or uh, narcissistic the way she is unless they have some sort of wound. They want something. They want to be loved. You want to be accepted. You don't want to feel shamed. What whatever it is in your in your life either that you brought into the world with you or has happened to you that there's some wound psychic wound that that is accounting for and it proliferates because no matter how many things you get no matter how beautiful that life is it's only a distraction for a while because the wound remains it isn't addressed so we don't even get a hint of that you know even in old movies you know there might be a hint that oh um my mother loves my sister better than me, or I was made fun of at school. I mean, it can even be a little thing, but at least it telegraphs to you what the paradigm is, what the, what the pattern is in that person. So they don't do that. And then they don't show on Joan, the mother's side, Joan Crawford's side, how she either created the wound or how she meshes with the wound. So, um, my guess is, and Vita does keep saying, no one can tell me what to do. Now I've got my own job and there's no one telling me what to do. So on some level, even though Joan Crawford's, the mother, Mildred Pierce, is giving her everything that she wants. She's also controlling. There's some way, and but we don't see that because she never tells Vita to do anything. When she's younger, she does, she gives her piano lessons and gives her singing lessons, but you never see Vita resisting it or Vita not wanting to do it. Vita seems to take on to it wholeheartedly. She, in fact, she seems to take everything and do all, in fact, that seems to be what she wants. She only doesn't like it when her dress isn't pretty enough or, you know, the, her mother doesn't show good taste. But there's something that's oppressive to her that's really oppressive to her that we can't see and we're not given any subtext or any privy to. So we can't see where the two of them are meshing and where they're hurting, you know, where they're hurting each other in that way. And um, I think that the Joan Crawford character obviously is oppressive, though we can't see it, so we can't feel it because it's not there. And she's also neglectful, and we do see that. She gives her things, and she spends so much time trying to earn the money to give these things that she actually doesn't spend the time with Vita. I mean, Vita. she doesn't even notice she's having an affair with her own husband-slash-lover. Yeah. So, like, clearly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And all, but also when, when you go back younger, when she's living in the house and, that, and she's there every day, there's no time where you, you see her really sitting down and spending time with either of the daughters and, 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 and being with them. Or, and, 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 of course, by this point, by the time we first start this, Vita's already completely rejected her. I mean, she's a teenager, so, you know, that's pretty common. But completely rejected her, looks down upon her, just really snooty. And Crawford isn't taking any steps to discipline her, to create boundaries, no matter how Vita will hate her for it. And then she doesn't allow the husband to do it either. She fights with him. And, and since the daughter is her purview, he has to back off because that's how it works. And that's the other thing, too. You mentioned both the daughters. And there's the other daughter, Kay, that dies when she's like, I don't know, 10, 10 or whatever, yeah. of pneumonia. But, but like, she's the tomboy and she has to take the ballet lessons and her... And Mildred Pierce doesn't even seem to give a shit about her. She's always telling her to, like, go away or, I don't know, not listening to what she's saying and stuff. And so that gives you a clear hint about how she's neglectful or doesn't see who her daughters are. 
but and yet she's the you know sort of saint of the movie or the yeah and all that, sacrificing mother yeah and it doesn't it doesn't really um, and I think that the movie in some way they do think that she is spoiling her but they also hold her up as being saintly so that there's a dissonance there with you know what's going on in her in her personality and I think that the issue is is that Joan Crawford she's at the height of her powers she's very much able to call the shots and so forth in her films, for, for the most part. She is got to be this woman. She's got to be both somewhat emotionally vulnerable, but she's also got to ultimately be... She's kind of the victim and the boss lady. Yeah, at the same time. she's got, And she's got to have agency that either she claims or doesn't claim, and that's part of the drama of the movie. That's the conflict in the movie mm-hmm. usually is what is that she's not claiming her agency by giving it over to this playboy or uh, mistakenly marrying the wrong man or but she always and, and I think probably as she did in her life um, always claimed control but it doesn't jibe well with the movie because they put this veneer of the sainthood over it. And, you know, in in real life, she was hard as nails. And she had to be. I mean, I'm not criticizing her for that. I mean, she did do a lot of really unpleasant, abusive, nasty things in her life to many people. And she was kind of really uh, difficult and a little, and psychologically manipulative. There's all of that is true. And we can talk a little bit about her history if you want to. Her her real name was Lucille Lesseur. Nobody knows exactly when she was born because Hmm. she lied so much about her age. But she kept saying it was 1908, but it was probably more like 1904. But nobody mm. knows because they can't find any birth certificate or, any, or anything. And so she was raised in extreme poverty. I mean, you know, huh. poor you know, country people. And um, there are stories that she was um, sexually abused by a stepfather and, you know, maybe by others because, you know, it's just sort of like that was the currency she had. And then she went into show business, and it was well known that she just slept her way. You know, she slept strategically. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem with her choosing to do that because that's what she needed to do to get what she wanted. And, of course, the people on the other end weren't thinking that she loved them. You know, They were using her. They were, they were abusing their power, and they were setting it up by, okay, this is how you get what you want not by being a great actor you know not by doing a good job I'm totally against that and I think uh, that casting couch mentality was heinous and it and a lot of a lot of really good actors female actors left the business you know they got married and left as soon as they could because they didn't want that pressure anymore you know but uh, Joan wanted she had to have and she was driven to have the stardom and the fame she just had had to have it and she was willing to commodify her body to do that. And um, she, that was her body, and she had the right to do with it what she chose. I have a problem with the system that sets that up. Right. So I hope that's clear when I say that. Totally, yeah. yeah. So anyway. But all of that shaped her personality and everything. It did. And, and oh, Betty Davis, too, who's the, there's that famous feud. And then there's the Hulu series feud, which actually was quite good. Uh, but... Yeah, they. She was that way too. She was just hard, hard, hard as nails, and psychologically kind of bent and and neurotic. But um, she wanted to be a star, and she was a star, and she was till the end of her life. 
as an elderly woman after a stroke she was still acting because that's what she wanted to do but you had to be particularly as a woman you had to be so hard and so impervious and so driven and so willing to do whatever i don't know betty davis didn't sleep her way to the top uh, because she wasn't that kind of gl- beautiful glamorous woman she kind of like made her way through being a character actor almost a lot of times yeah exactly except you know a couple times when she was younger she got to play the pretty girl but she yeah she did that more but anyway so that was Joan Crawford so here she is she's clawed and slapped her way to the top as well as being very very talented and flawless and flawless beautiful and she um, she got up got up there and here she is now so she can choose her roles and she can shape the roles and she has got to be a luminous angel as well as, and then underneath she's playing the parts. So it creates that conflict within her. So that it makes everything else that happens in the movie not as interesting. Totally. I mean, the three and a half stars we gave it. It was her. The style and everything else, but also just watching her yeah. do a film that uh, completely bolsters her with how stylish it is and yeah. everything. Yeah. And the hats. Oh, totally. Yeah, she has some awesome hats. Yeah, a she, lot of people. I mean, you look in the background, there's some, like, amazing hats that people are just wearing. I love, hat. I love hats from that period. She's got about one hat that's, like, it's, like, roses all the way around, but then the little, like, it's, like, kind of a top hat, but the top hat part of it, the the stem of it is, like, so thin. The and crown. Tiny, yeah. The crown is, like... So it's like a little funnel, yeah. a little velvet, black velvet funnel yeah. on the top of her head. Yeah. yeah. It's a wild, wild hat. I, lo- I love it. I'm loving that hat. Yeah, there's just some great, great stuff in there. I love hats from this period. I always, I'm always looking in the background, looking at hats. Yeah. Um, and, and clothes and, and everything, too. But, yeah, so that's really where this, this film falls down as a film, mm-hmm. as a totality, in that, so all this is going on with Joan Crawford, and then you got poor Anne Blythe, who's really not a great actor. She's very pretty. But she's not a great actor. And she plays Vita the daughter. And she plays Vita the daughter. She's fine. You know, she's kind of like one of the studio actors. And she was, she was had a little blip of fame. And then it's so funny, when I was a child, she was the spokesperson for Hostess Snack Cakes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, that. I'm Ann Blythe. <laughs> and she talked just like Vita. So I think that was her one thing. And uh, Ann Blythe was also in a film um, called, uh, oh, I'll, I'm going to have to look it up. Not Our Own, where she plays, oh, oh my gosh, horrors, scandal, an adopted child. But she doesn't know she's adopted. So she gets to be a teenager and she finds out that she's adopted and she just has this flippin' meltdown. And I mean, I, I don't know, I'm not adopted. So I don't know, maybe that's happened to people. Maybe that is a normal thing. But it seemed to me to be just, oh my God, Anne Blythe is still alive. I just looked her up. She's 92 years old. Oh my God. Oh my God. Anne Blythe, if you listen to this, you're fantastic in Mildred Pierce. <laughs> I don't think she is. I don't think she gives a, a hooey about it. But, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Anyway, she was in this film. I think Farley Granger was also in it. Oh, she's a Leozo. Oh, nice. <gasps> she broke her back while tobogganing in Stowe Valley. Jesus. Not long after Mildred Pierce. Oh, my God. That is nasty. That is a shame. Oh, our very own. That was what it's called. Five years late after this, after Mildred Pierce. She was in a film called Our Very Own. I don't know why I'm bringing this up. I saw it when I was, like, a kid on the afternoon classic movie 
that they showed after school. <laughs> That's how I'm blind. That's how I knew her. Anyway, what are we talking about? Okay, oh, well, she's not. She's she she can't hold she can't hold a candle to to Joan Crawford. Yeah, she's fine. She's okay. She's competent. We could talk about other people in the movie, but then there's so many movies that were coming up for me while I was watching this, mm-hmm. which I guess is also exemplary of why it's a three and a half is because while I was watching it, I was thinking about a bunch of other movies I've seen. Yeah. But uh, you mentioned earlier um, Bad Seed. 56. 56. And again, spoilers are a coming probably. Yeah. So the Bad Seed 1956 is about an evil, evil daughter. Now the difference with this, first of all, let me say, Patty McCormick stars as the daughter. The do- Now in Mildred Pierce, Vita is 17 and older pretty much, I think. Maybe she's supposed to be 15 in, when she starts. Patty McCormick is like 11 mm-hmm. in the film. So much younger. Right. And the thing about her character is that it works because you know she's a sociopath. Right. It's clear. She was born that way. She's a, a stone-cold sociopath. I think that's one of the first things that I said to you was, as far as Vita goes, yeah. the daughter in this movie, is I was like... She should be more powerful or something, which the movie tries to be kind of realistic in its psycho, or it kind of presents you with a realistic psych- psychological premise, um, Mildred Pierce, and it doesn't meet that. And then the actress herself doesn't stand up to Joan Crawford, which you cannot blame her for. Right, it's, and it's part um, part of it. I, actually, going back to your thing, she need, Vita needed to be more powerful. I think you you really. And Blythe needed to be more powerful. Yeah. Or whoever was playing Vita. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that was really the yeah. power thing. Um, and for me, the, th- the reason the movie didn't work is because there was not a subtextual, cl- even just a shorthand indicator of how they were somehow struggling with, struggling each, other. with each other on some level. Totally. Yeah. And in the script, in the storyline, yeah. Well, they would bring it out. Exactly. I mean, because that, the problem is, is they're not meeting. And so I think, I think even if it wasn't in the script, I think the actresses, the actors would have been able to telegraph it to us. Yeah, through that's their performance. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Got that now. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why I brought up the bad seed, or that's why even why I was thinking about the bad seed during this movie, because I was like, man, I wish it was some of that tension, some of yeah. that darkness, you know? And then the other film that came up, of course, is um, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. You brought up Betty Davis, and of course. Because uh, that, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, spoilers are, might, may, may, be, may be occurring. Because uh, we, we didn't spoil the bad seed, so good on us. Um, but we may yet. Yeah, that's Betty Davis and Joan Crawford playing uh, together in a film. Uh, kind of kind matching of off of the, each other. Off of their feud thing. And this is later in life. This is when they're in late middle age. Um, and yeah, so they play sisters who hate each other. Yeah, and they're just awesome. And... Blanche, yeah, <laughs> Blanche, <laughs> just tearing at each other. That's my Betty Davis impression. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, and I could talk about that film too, but maybe we, I, we shouldn't get off too far because I could, I could go on a tangent on that one too. Yeah, that one, and the other one I thought of was the Babadook, which is a oh. more recent film. Again, there may be spoilers here. So in 2014, The Babadook came out. Now, that's a horror film, um, but it's a mother and a son, and the son is even sm- younger. He's probably like eight or nine. And But as I was watching that film, it's about a haunting. It's about weird things happening in a house, poltergeistry kinds of things. But there's just the thing where the, the, the son is like, 
screaming and waking up at night and screaming and yelling and uh, saying all these crazy things and the mother is just losing sleep and she's going crazy and like it's almost like you can feel like she just wants to kill him you know and i'm like i looked at that film and and then what happens is the mother starts getting she starts seeing things and then the kid is like he's looking at his mother like and she's like insane and i thought oh my god this is this is like the parent child paradigm <laughs> i mean the first part is like when your child is little and i remember this with you uh, with zoe she cried nonstop during the day for the first six about six months of your life maybe 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 it was, wasn't that long <laughs> it feels that long yeah it was three or four <laughs> months maybe i finally got you to an osteopath and got your your little cranium fixed but you would scream. I mean, scream. I couldn't go to a restaurant. It didn't matter what I was doing. I couldn't, I couldn't feed you. I couldn't give you a binky. You would just scream and scream and scream. And your dad and I were like, what are we, you know, we didn't know what was going on. And, and then at night you would sleep the whole night through. Thank God for that. Or that it would have been, I would just. That sounds hellish anyway. It was, it was, yeah. (laughs) But, but I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't, I couldn't talk to anybody. You know. It's almost like during a pandemic. <laughs> I know, exactly. Except they're screaming at the same time. And um, and and I looked at the Babadook and I'm like, and I looked at that mother and her hair was like all awry and she's like bags under her eyes. And the child is like screaming and screaming. I go, oh my God. That's like, <laughs> I know that. And then, and then when the mother was going crazy and the kids just looking at her, I'm thinking, I know that that's, that you've looked at me like, mom. Take a chill pill. <laughs> Mom, calm down. <laughs> so anyway, it made me think of that kind of parent-child relationship. And it's kind of, for me, a lot of people say, well, it's about addiction. It's about grief. And it has, you know, you can, that's, it is good that you can interpret that in any way. But for me, it was about the parent-child relationship and how it shifts back and forth with the, the two parties just not being able to handle the other one. It's like too much. <laughs> That sounds great. We've got to watch that together. Uh, I guess we've talked we talked about it a lot. We should. I, I guess. Just rewatch it with me. Okay. I mean, I enjoyed it, but not that much. I mean, it was kind of a three for me. Okay. But you, but you keep talking about it. Let's watch it. I do not keep talking about you it. You do. Oh, I never, I can't hear myself. I don't know. I must. So clearly that's kind of what we wanted from this film and didn't quite get, but it was still really enjoyable and yeah. fun to talk about and analyze it was very good and james m Kane, just as the, the author of the book also wrote the postman always rings twice and so um you know he he a lot of his books were made into into films at that time because they he always has some kind of somebody has an obsession about somebody <laughs> and it can be you know as as we were saying if it's lovers, if it's a sexual obsession, that's something that seems more easily relatable that you don't need them to work so hard. You just need to show that they have chemistry. But you don't need, you don't need a lot of specificity. Specificity? Specificity. There we go. Specificity on that issue because um, we've all kind of felt it and it's, and it's been so explored in film and book and all kinds of media that it's pretty easy to just like there. But when it comes to like the parent-child paradigm, uh, and, and again, the one that keeps getting explored, I think mostly is the tiger mom kind of 
the, the mother who does oppress, but more obviously either by really like aggressive manipulation through guilt, through that that kind of paradigm has been been explored a lot. So that one again, it's much easier to fall to get it, to accept it. But this one, this was this was actually more complicated, and it was a little bit more inverse. It could be really poignant. I think that sort of codependency. Mm-hmm. I think our codependency is very poignant. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Beautiful. You keep saying I'll write a book, and hopefully I will, but we'll see. <laughs> Again, there are a lot of aspects to the film. Um, do you want to talk about uh, Zachary Scott? <laughs> yeah, we can. Let's, uh, yeah, we can digress into some of the other actors. Well, in the did film. you want to say more about the mother-daughter thing? The, the love interest, the husband that Vita has the affair with, the triangle guy is Zachary Scott and he's just one of those actors look him up he just he's not handsome and he's not like prepossessing in his personality or he's not charismatic he's not bad and he plays the part okay so nothing I don't know he's got like these eyelashes really long on a face they're kind of like you're like okay you're kind of a pretty boy but they're also kind of off-putting yeah does that make sense yeah he's kind of a pretty boy but he's not but his nose is really weird it's kind of pointy but it's wide it's wide and pointy I don't know it's just it it just it looks weird it looks like he needs to have it like shaved or something yeah but none of this would <laughs> have his nose shaved down you mean yeah yeah I, or maybe not or maybe shaved shaved in some dimension i don't know i don't but I, I think if he was possessed by a fire none of that would matter and he just isn't so yeah he doesn't yeah i mean you know like you could say humphrey bogart not good looking very prepossessing yeah on, on the screen so he so he was kind of a nothing burger and then jack carson who you would have seen if you watch old movies, seen so many times, he's always the bluff, the tall bluff, uh, fast talking guy who's kind of pu- you know punchy in the arm and say hi. Hard boiled after the dames. Or he's the or he's the football player. Or you know he can yeah he's always the the second to third banana in an, in a movie, and um, yeah he did fine in this. Yeah, I mean the character that he plays is kind of shitty. Like he's. Just yeah. he's after Mildred so hard and just pushes her and like he does help her do her business deals. But also, if I had to deal with him, I would just like kick his ass out on the street yeah. and like never talk to him again. Yeah, he was. He, well, he's he's a masher. Yeah, and 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 it was it's interesting watching the the way she handles it because it's very much of the time where it's expected men are going to act this way, and it's not it's not okay. It's not it's not it's not charming. I don't yeah, know how they... He's supposed to be charming, but he's not. I don't know. I don't know that he's supposed to be charming. I think right. he's supposed to be a masher. And that that's, that's how men are. That's what women can expect. I think they were trying to show how hard it is when a woman gets divorced back then, they were considered to be like r- raring to go. And men would... That was a thing. Mm. That they would go, oh, let's go over there and get some from her. An experienced lady. Yeah. yeah okay. Apparently. Whereas a widow, not so much. Because that's honorable, I guess. There's something. There was something racy about a divorced or separated mm. woman, and so that's what he was acting on. Is that that was a social paradigm that you know probably less nice guys would do, but also men were acculturated to be aggressive. That's what they were expected to do. 
Sure. And women were expected not to have agency in terms of that kind of thing, which is, that's why a lot of these little passive manipulations happen, you know. But, I mean, not that that makes him pleasant or charming. I don't, I honestly don't know that he was supposed to be charming. I think he thought he was charming. Yeah. <laughs> and he thought that if he could just keep it up long enough, she was going to give in. Because it feels, it feels like he did have some real feelings for her, but he just was incapable. Anyway... Okay, so the other standouts in the in the movie, there was someone that we noticed very recently because we just watched Duel in the Sun. Mm. Do you know what year that was? Duel in the Sun was, I think, the same year, 45. And uh, Butterfly McQueen of the fame of Gone with the Wind, Prissy. Yeah, and so she had a role in Duel in the Sun and then this and not a ton of other roles. But she's super distinctive because she has this very high-pitched voice and very cutesy manner. And she's uh, she's a black actress and always plays a maid. Which yeah. She's great. I mean, she's she kind of steals all the scenes that she's in in terms of just being so distinctive and so prepossessing. But Right. And she was, uh, Butterfly McQueen was, she quit acting in 47. Other than, she did some TV, a few TV roles later. But she quit um, acting uh, mo- in movies and did some stage work after 1947, I think. Um, because she just got sick of it. She got sick of the uh, the racial typecasting. Yeah, I think she said something about, like, I don't mind being cute, but I hate being stupid or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And in this movie, she is more cute. She's a little bit, you know, a little bit simple, but she doesn't play really stupid. She plays more cute in this yeah. one. So I guess she's meant to be the comic relief or something, but she got she got pretty sick of that. But she was, you know, in real life, she was a, quite a, an intelligent and activist person she was um, part of she was an atheist and she was a big activist and uh, getting you know rid of religion she felt that religion was an enslavement yeah i mean she had kind of a like a weird freak tragic death oh it's so terrible she was quite elderly she was 84 yeah 84 and she lived very modestly oh the poor woman well going back you know, she had not made a lot of money. You wouldn't have in that role. That's why these people worked forever. Working actors just kind of kept their income going. And when she stopped doing that work, she didn't make a lot of money. But she got assaulted by um, a bus line employee at a bus terminal because they thought she was a vagrant and a pickpocket. And and she was pretty old. She was like in her 60s when this mm. happened. And they threw her down and they, they, they injured her really injured her physically and so she had brought a lawsuit and fought that for for a few years and finally got a settlement of think of these $60,000 which was you know decent yeah, yeah quite you know that was that was a, a chunk of change in those days and she decided that she would just live simply and live on that money and and you know do her causes and she did do a little bit of TV work later on so she was sadly living in this house and she uh, tried to um, ignite a kerosene heater and it sparked, and her clothes caught on fire. And she was found out on the sidewalk, burnt over 70% of her body. Yeah, that's fucking So sad. Oh, what a way to go. And then she actually um, donated her body to science. Anyway, Uh, so that's... kind of a sad end to a really sweet actress that we like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Butterfly McQueen. And uh, her real name was Thelma, by the way, which she hated. Okay. And Butterfly was her stage name that she adopted as her real name. Uh, So it became her real name. And then the other uh, actor that I love, uh, I've always loved, is Eve Arden. 
Eve Arden is a tall blonde, and she was always known as the, she was always the, the character actor who did the snappy dialogue. She never um, really, she never got the guy or anything like that. She was just very snappy, and, and she could whip off those one-liners. She was the best friend. She um, had a TV, this is how I first heard of her. She had a TV show called The Mothers-in-Law with a, a woman called Kay Ballard. And Kay Ballard uh, played sort of the, uh, I think kind of like an immigrant mother-in-law, and she was like the more Yankee mother-in-law. And so they had this comedy show, and I remember it when I was a kid. And I... Um, yeah, I just really always liked her. She was born on my birthday, April 30th, so that makes her more, even more special. And there's Lee Patrick, who we love, who was on Perry Mason. She's also blonde. Yeah. She's kind of a... Uh, 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 she's stately. Yeah, she's stately. She's a nice-looking woman, but she wasn't... Handsome. She wasn't pretty, and she, but she's blonde and always had her hair up and everything, and she you just see her a lot in things, and I always like Lee Patrick a lot. She plays... What's the woman's name? Mrs... Something with a B. Um, she plays the mistress of Mildred Pierce's husband's, who he doesn't end up marrying. Um, and she has like one scene, but she's super compassionate when the daughter dies and stuff. And oh, interesting. Just looked Eve Arden up. Her real birth name was Eunice Mary Quedens. Is that's an interesting name? Never even heard of that. Yeah, she she was married to Ned Bergen. But what's interesting to me is she had an extended relationship with Danny Kay. Eve Arden did? Yes. Do you know who Danny Kaye is? No. Uh, there. Well, if anybody knows that, he was in The Court Jester. The vessel with the pestle is the brew that is true. <laughs> <laughs> there are people, probably a lot of people who might have been in your dad's friend group, who can recite that entire monologue at speed. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those nerd things. Okay. You know, <laughs> one of those theater nerd things. So, I mean, that, that's it. Do you think we've said enough about the mother-daughter dynamics here? Clearly, we think that sometimes moms should stick it to their daughters and their and daughters should be more honest with their moms. That, that, and then and there would be no movie. And then sometimes you just got to crack them across the face, right? There's, <laughs> they just slap each other a couple times. Yeah, well, I, th- yeah, uh, I, I think the, the good one was when Vita cracks... Joan right across the face and Joe she has a great reaction where she just like she falls back she's like with a jerk she falls back and is clinging to the banister <laughs> yeah maybe awesome. we'll have a scene like that someday oh you think no <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so either oh that was, that was funny though I love that <laughs> That, that was that that was I think it was because that was the time they connected. Yeah. And Vita You're was right. strong. Yeah. You know, she really was strong enough to take her on. And that was good. Not even though Vita was being horrible. She's doing some <laughs> They're a, all wrapped up in their thing. A con game she was playing with her poor little Innocent no, I think you're husband. right, though. That's the time that Mildred Pierce and her daughter really, like, do connect with each other on an equal level. Yeah. Yeah. When she when Vita finally cracks her mother right across the face. After her mother tears up, tears up a check that Vita scammed out of her, her, her poor, sad little husband's family. So, I mean, this is definitely a movie. It's, it's above the three-star mark. It's definitely one yeah. that we recommend. We think you should check it out. If you have any thoughts and you want to email us about it, we'll uh, we'll talk about them on air. And the Bad Seed. Yeah. And the Babadook, which is I enjoyed. And, and whatever happened to Baby Jane. Oh, okay. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That's a screamer. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye.
If you want to get in touch with us, shoot us out an email to foiblespodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening.